Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you here again in Invercargill. Uh, for those of you who don't uh, know me, my name's John. I'm here with my wife, Stephanie, and our two kids, Nate and Sophia. Uh, we were in Invercargill for around five years, uh, a few years ago, and uh, so it's great to be back gathered with you here. For the last three years, we've been in Sydney. I've been um, studying uh, at Bible College to become a minister, so I've just finished uh, my three-year master's there. And um, this coming year, Steph and I are going to be moving to Ashburton, and I'll be doing an internship year there with, um, with David Bain, who's the minister there. And at the end of that year, um, the plan at this stage, Lord willing, is that I'll take over and he'll retire at the end of uh, next year. So that's the plan. Um, we we'll, um, just want to take the opportunity to say thank you so much for your support and your prayers over the last few years. We've really appreciated um, uh, knowing that you have been praying for us and that we've been sent over to study, it's been a real um, blessing to have your support through these last three years. So we're very thankful for that. Well, if you can keep your Bibles uh, open uh, to Matthew 25, we'll be looking at the parable of the talents from verses 14 uh, to 30. Let's just pray as we come to look at that again now. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for your word that you give us and we pray, Lord God, that you through your Holy Spirit would be at work in each of our lives and hearts today, convicting us, growing us, changing us more and more into your likeness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you're about to take uh, your final breath on this earth, what do you want people to say about your life? Uh, Steph and I watched a movie recently where a lady who was dying of cancer decided to have a memorial service while she was still alive. She thought it would be a shame to miss out on everyone saying uh, all of the nice things about her when she was gone. Um, so what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Well, what about this? What do you want God to say about your life when it's all said and done? I think if there's something that all of us would long to hear as we finally stand before our Lord and Saviour, it's these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, what, what a comfort. Can you feel uh, the joy at hearing those words, at hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant? So if that's what we want to hear, what does the life of a good and faithful servant look like? Well, let's start by retelling the story of the parable. The story starts off in verse 14, it will be like. Uh, the it here is referring to the kingdom of heaven that we see back in verse 1. Uh, you see this parable, the short story that comes with a punch, is part of a series of parables where Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the fact that he's going to go away, uh, but one day he'll return and what that means for life in between. So what's this parable saying? Well, let's do a quick overview. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Uh, maybe he's going to Fiji for a holiday. Maybe he's taking a business trip. Either way, we know that he's going. Uh, so like any responsible person, he makes some plans. Uh, he calls his servants over and he entrusts, uh, quite literally, his stuff to them, the things that he has. To one servant, he gives five talents. To another, two and to another one, each according to his ability. And now we don't exactly know how much money a talent was. It's a measure of weight, which is why the NIV translates it as a bag of gold. But some people estimate that a single talent could be as much as what a labourer could expect to earn in 20 years of work 
So in our terms, you might be looking at well over a million dollars. So this isn't a small sum of money. As soon as he leaves, we see that the master, the master's trust in the first servant is rewarded. Uh, the servant goes away at once, and he puts the money to work. You know, maybe he trades it on the stock market. Maybe he invests it in a startup. Whatever he does, it's successful. He gets 100% returns. The five talents that he makes, he makes another five. That's pretty good. Uh, the one who receives two does the same. And again, 100% returns. He gets another two talents. Uh, we can see where this is going. We're waiting for the final servant to step up and to achieve spectacular results. But what does he do? He goes out. He digs a hole in the ground and he hides the money. It's actually the safest option. It was even a recommended option by Jewish rabbis at the time if you wanted to save your money. Whatever he was going to do with the money was going to take some sort of risk. The safest bet, if he wanted to ensure that you'd have your money at the end of the day, was to go out there and to bury it in the ground. That's what the servant did. He's gone for the no-risk, no-reward approach. But how will that go? Well, the day of reckoning arrives. The master returns, and it's time for the financial review. The first presents the extra five that he's gained, and the master is delighted. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The master's delighted. Things are going really well. The second servant steps up. Exactly the same thing plays out. But what about this last servant? Well, his no risk no reward approach be looked on favorably. Well, he obviously decides that if he's not going to present these fantastic returns, he's got to go ahead and justify himself. He's thought about what he's going to say down in verse 24. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours have it back. You can almost feel like he's playing hot potato with the gold. He can't wait to offload it. What does the master say? Oh, thanks. At least that one talent is safe. You know, thanks for keeping it for me. No, he says, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. You know, he's not holding back. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. He's saying, I'm a, man of, I'm a man of profit, so why did you think I'd want you to hide it in the ground? You could have taken it and at least got some sort of something back for it. And what's the result? Take the ten talents from him, uh, take the talents from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. This hasn't gone well. The no risk, no reward approach has not been looked on favorably. And finally, we see down in verse 30 that the worthless servant is thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a bit of a jarring ending, isn't it? He's thrown out, and that's the end. Well, that's the story, but what does it actually teach us about being a good and faithful servant? Let's take a closer look at the meaning of this parable, starting first with our responsibility. The setting of the story is a master going away on a journey. Now, clearly here, this represents Jesus going away and what his disciples are to do while they await his return. Well, if Jesus is the master, the disciples are the servants, what are these talents meant to represent? 
Well, the traditional explanation has been our innate natural ability that God has given each of us. And that's why we use the word talent the way that we do. It comes from the story. But we see in verse 15 that the talents are distributed according to the servant's ability. But they're actually a distinct thing. I want to suggest a bigger picture view than just our innate natural ability. Remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, as the master, as the king of the kingdom, in verse 14, is entrusting his stuff, his property to them. The talents don't just represent our innate natural ability, but it actually represents the things of the kingdom, which includes the gifts that God gives each of us, but also, I think, the resources of the kingdom, and perhaps even more importantly, the message of the kingdom. The good news that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. All of this is wrapped up, I think, in this great wealth that the master entrusts to his servants. So what does it look like to be good and faithful servants? Well, for a start, we've been given a task to do. As disciples of Jesus, we've been entrusted with a great responsibility by him. When Jesus left and went up to heaven... He gave us the things of the kingdom. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew starts off, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Jesus gives us and trusts us the responsibility to make disciples. I wonder if sometimes your life ever feels purposeless. Do you ever stop and think, well, what's the point of what I'm doing? Wage slaves, the nine-to-five grind, maybe 24-7 parenting, and the minute-by-minute struggles of the day, it can be so hard to gain any perspective in life. I love the feeling when I'm on a plane, and when you're taking off, the clouds are all grey, everything looks terrible, it's raining, much like a day like today, windy, but when you rise above the clouds, suddenly you see the sun shining, and you're reminded that it's always been there even if it doesn't always feel like it, you need to know that life and the kingdom of heaven is never without a purpose. As disciples of Jesus, all of us have been entrusted with the gifts, the resources, the message of the kingdom and given a task to see it flourish. Our lives as disciples of Christ are never meaningless. But perhaps thinking about that responsibility right now feels a little bit overwhelming. Uh, Like Bilbo Baggins says, we feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. We're already carrying more than enough burdens, and now this parable is just throwing another boulder on top. Well, I want you to notice two things in this opening section. First, the master gives his servants what they need. He doesn't expect them to generate five talents with nothing to work with. He gives them the five talents. You see, in God's kingdom, resources are never a problem. The biggest problem is our lack of faith in what God can provide. So is that what we believe here in Invercargill today? You know, I thought that with quitting my job and our family moving from Invercargill to Sydney, that we'd struggle to survive financially. But God has been showing us again and again and again just how generous he is. He's more than capable of providing for us. The problem is not with God. It's in our lack of faith in what God can provide for us. 
So what does it look like for us today in Invercargill to dream big for the kingdom here in Invercargill and to trust that God is the one who will provide the resources that we need? Well, the other thing to see here is that the master gives out talents based on his servants' abilities. God knows what you've got going on in your life, and he knows what you're capable of. Jesus doesn't expect you to be someone different. But what he does do is give you a responsibility for kingdom work in your life as it is now. Because even if it doesn't seem like it, there will be opportunities and ways for you to live for the kingdom in all areas of your life. So it's important that we stop comparing ourselves to other people and what they're doing. Because there will be different times and seasons where you'll be able to do lots and there'll be others where you won't and that's okay. God doesn't treat us all the same because we're not all the same. This parable indicates that God does give more responsibility to some and less to others. I mean, we live in New Zealand. It might not always feel like it when we put on the blinkers and listen to the news too much, but we are actually in an incredible position of wealth and prosperity globally. Now, we don't have to apologize for that. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have to live in abject poverty, but it does challenge us to consider how we're going to use what God has given us for his kingdom. It doesn't mean that we all have to go into full-time ministry, but it does mean that however God has equipped you, he wants you to use those things for his kingdom and for his glory. So can you love the people that you see in your workplace every day, even though they might be terrible to work with? Can you be patient uh, with your children and seek little opportunities to share the gospel? Can you pray for your neighbours and have the courage to share the gospel when you have the opportunity to do so? Do you see being a disciple and making disciples of Jesus as something that's a part of every aspect of your life? Or is it just something for on church, for at church on Sunday? You see, the life of a good and faithful servant knows the responsibility that they've been given. And we see next that they're willing to take risks for the kingdom. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Notice how the first two servants get it in the parable. They understand the task. They both go out immediately and they start to work with the resources that they've been given. The parable doesn't tell us exactly what they did to get those 100% returns, but whatever it was, it would have at least required some sort of risk. But that's all in contrast to the last servant who goes and who digs a hole and buries the money. It's comfortable. It's safe. There's no real risk involved, no work involved. Uh, We see later on down in verses 24 to 25 the real reason why he does this. It's because he's afraid of the master. He's not actually afraid of losing the money as such. He's afraid of the master's response if he does lose it. And so in his fear... He opts for the safest route, which just happens to be the easiest route. He does nothing with the resources he's been given, and he makes nothing with it. You see, the way of the kingdom challenges our assumptions about what is and isn't a risk worth taking. The whole irony of this parable is that the servant that chose the safest option ends up losing everything, or those who risk it all ends up gaining everything. Jesus says these words in Matthew 19, 29. He says, And everyone who has left houses, 
or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Our society today that idolizes laziness and luxury looks at that kind of life that Jesus paints and says, you're crazy. Why would you do something like that? It's helpful to see, though, that this kind of risk-taking doesn't actually have to look super dramatic. It's about seeing the everyday decisions in our life through the lens and through the priorities of the kingdom rather than through the eyes of our society. I'm sure much of you, many of you, have been giving away money to the church and to other organizations for many years, giving up a chunk of your money that society says you should be saving up for retirement or you should be spending on yourself or investing in something else. Instead, you've been investing in the kingdom and returns that aren't always tangible. That's a risk that you're taking for the kingdom. I knew an elderly man who had had poor health but who recognized that what he had was time to spend in prayer. And so he spent it well praying through a long list of people in the church And when he inevitably went to hospital, he spent the time sharing the gospel with the people who were next to him in bed. At a time when the world says, focus on yourself, you haven't got much time left. This is the chance to do what you want to do. He had a different perspective. Was that a waste? I don't think so. What might it look like to view your decisions through the lens of the kingdom? Saying no to career advancement because you know it will take you away from other things that matter more. Prioritizing coming to a church on Sunday when you could be doing other things. See, good and faithful servants take risks for the kingdom. And finally, we see that good and faithful servants receive the reward. The time has come. The master has returned and it's time to see what the servants have done with their time. To the good and faithful servants, their faithfulness is rewarded. They're being given further responsibility and they share in their master's happiness. But the wicked and the lazy servant, the slothful servant, is thrown out. The one talent he has is given to the other one and he's thrown to where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, if you've been following along up until this point, this might be where you start to get a little bit worried. In fact, I kind of hope you're somewhat uncomfortable. How does this ending fit with the first shall be last and the last shall be first? How does it fit with you have been saved by grace through faith? Isn't Jesus saying here what I've always feared? If I don't do enough, I'm out. Well, keep your finger in this passage and we're going to flick over quickly to Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. Here Jesus says, then the, sorry, then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Hopefully, you'll notice here that verse 12 is identical to verse 29 in our parable today. In chapter 13, Jesus isn't talking about different tiers of Christians. He's talking about the difference between those who know the secrets of the kingdom, 
who believe in Jesus as King and Saviour and those who don't. The same comparison is happening in our parable here today between the good and faithful servants and the worthless servant. If we take a closer look again at the actions of this worthless servant, we can actually see that he's never really got it. He hasn't understood. He hasn't believed. Instead of understanding who the master is and what he really wants from him, like the other servants, he responds in fear. You see, the worthless servant isn't a picture of a Christian who who loves God and who's seeking to serve him but who falls short. It's a picture of someone who's been exposed to some of the truths of the kingdom and maybe they've grown up in the church or they've gone to Sunday school but they've misunderstood God and they've misunderstood what God wants them to do. The warning is in this passage is for people who think that they've understood the assignment but have missed the whole point. I think this is where so many people are at today. And I think that if there is a God, the safe thing to do is just to be a good person and to love, and that's the most important thing that will cover their bases. Please hear this if that's where you're at today. If you don't truly know the master, you won't really know what he wants you to do. And there won't be a reward at the end, but only grief when your life comes to an end. The only reason we as Christians talk about love so much is because he first loved us. Jesus shows us what the life of a truly good and faithful servant looked like. He's the king who humbled himself to live among his creation, who lived a good and faithful life where we failed to and yet died for our sins so that we can live, who rose again and who gives us his spirit to transform us and to change our lives and hearts so that even though we're often evil and lazy, the Father still looks at us and sees a good and faithful servant. Yes, God calls us to work, but only in light of his great grace to us. His grace is what compels us to go and to make disciples, and only his Holy Spirit living in us can continue to change our lives and to give us different priorities and different hearts so that the risks of the kingdom don't seem so risky. Unless you love the master and know his love for you, your love for others will always be misdirected. And so, brothers and sisters, who receives the reward? The reward is for all those who believe in the only truly good and faithful servant and who seeks by the empowering of God's Holy Spirit to live their lives in service to him. Prior to his death earlier this year, Tim Keller prayed, I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. One day our life will end, whether it's because Jesus comes back again or whether it's because God chooses that our time of service in his kingdom is up. But for all those who believe in him, We can look forward to death, like Tim Keller, with anticipation and joy, knowing that we will hear these words one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. What a joyous day that we can look forward to. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for Jesus, the only good and faithful servant. Thank you for his grace in our lives so that even though we're often wicked and lazy and slothful, 
that we can still look forward to hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, help us to see and to know the responsibility that we've been given. Thank you that you entrust us with this great task to go and to make disciples and that you choose to include us in your kingdom purposes. And Father, help us to have uh, eyes that see the world through kingdom purposes and kingdom priorities rather than through our own concepts of what's risky and what's not. Give us strength through your Holy Spirit, we pray, and that you continue to change us and to transform us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.